We inform. Religious freedom is about people of faith being able to live out their faith, live out their convictions, no matter where they are. We equip. This is a battle of worldviews. And we activate. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character hope. This is AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio Network, exclusively on the American Family Radio Network. I'm your host, Walker Wildman. Good to be with you today. A beautiful day in northeast Mississippi, where our headquarters is located. Hope you're doing well. Hope your family is doing well. Hey, we've got a lot of news to cover today, a lot of content to cover, a lot of information to bring to our listening audience. We're going to have on in the second segment, Dr. Uh, Peter McCullough. Dr. Peter McCullough is out of Texas. He's got an extensive uh, resume. He's a board-certified cardiologist, a professor of medicine at Texas A&M College of Medicine. He's testified before not only the Texas legislature, but he's also testified before the U.S. Senate uh, Committee on Early Treatment Methods for COVID-19 Patients. So we're going to have him on next segment pick his brain about everything that's going on in our in our society as it relates to the COVID-19 pandemic because as I mentioned yesterday one of our core values here at AFA is the sanctity of human life and so um, you know there's a lot of a lot of uh, information out there some of it good some of it not so good um, but there are there are early and aggressive treatments for a COVID the COVID illness that is not being given the proper attention, in my opinion. Um, So we're going to talk with him about that just to make sure our listeners are getting the best and the latest information from people who actually know what they're talking about, people we can trust, who have a extensive uh, resume and career on bringing the truth to the public. Hey, our verse of the week is out of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 3, Verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. That's out of the book of Proverbs, chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. That's our verse of the week here on uh, AFA at the core. Our resource of the week, I mentioned yesterday, excellent resource that's in our resource center and it's put together by our very own Alex McFarlane. He's co-host of Exploring the Word. A couple years ago, he put together this excellent uh, packet here regarding the 21 toughest questions your kids will ask about Christianity. And it comes with not only a DVD, but it also comes with a couple booklets. And it's very, very useful for those of you who are discipling your children, even your grandchildren. This resource is excellent, so I want to encourage you to get it by going to our resource center, resources.afa.net. You'll have to search Alex McFarlane there, and you'll be able to find this resource. But it's excellent, and and, uh, discipleship is so critical, folks. Discipleship of our children uh, and those that we have an influence on is so critical because that's how we're going to change this culture. That's how we're going to shift this culture is we're going to change hearts and minds one person at a time and it starts in our household. It absolutely starts in our household. And as believers, we have a primary responsibility, a primary role to disciple our children and to disciple those around us. So that's what we're trying to help people do and equip people with 
here at American Family Association. I came across this story just uh, breaking within the last 10 minutes, and that is CNN is reporting that at least 4,100 U.S. citizens remain in Afghanistan. That's coming from CNN. 4,100 U.S. citizens remain in Afghanistan. And President Biden said yesterday that we're getting out by August 31. I've seen reports of troops already withdrawing from Afghanistan. And this is a very dangerous situation. You know, the White House is in denial. The the administration is in denial that that people can't get to the airport. Well, I've heard firsthand accounts of people that cannot get to the airport to get out of country. So is President Biden going to leave uh, 4,000 American citizens in a terrorist-run country? We're going to find out in the next few days, but this cannot happen. Uh, this cannot be accepted. U.S. troops, U.S. military must ensure that uh, U.S. citizens get out of Afghanistan and they get out of there uh, quickly, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. We can't keep trying to negotiate and, and play footsie with the Taliban here. This is not working. Uh, these people are liars. They're crooks. They're terrorists. They're thugs. Uh, they fundamentally disagree with our view of the world, with our view of human rights, and with our view of the treatment of every human life created in the image of God. Uh, so we can't play with these guys. There's no negotiating. There's no playing cards with the Taliban. We've got to get American citizens out, and we've got to get them out quick. And AFA actually has an action alert up on our website. On our homepage of AFA.net, we have an action alert where you can actually email the White House and urge them to get all American citizens out. And I think the American citizen aspect has been largely overlooked. We've been seeing all the reporting on how many Afghan nationals we've gotten out of country, how many Afghan allies, how many interpreters. But here we are. We've still got 4,000 U.S. citizens in country in Afghanistan, according to CNN. Where's the coverage there? Uh, that should be wall-to-wall -wall coverage 24-7. That's all we should be talking about is getting American citizens home and out of that terrorist overrun country. That should be a top priority. You know, I, I listened to a clip the other day, and we're going to get to it real quick here, of Colonial, uh, uh, Colonel Richard Kemp. He was on with Mark Levin this past weekend, and, and he doesn't just think that Joe Biden should be impeached over this uh, debacle in, in Afghanistan. He actually thinks uh, Joe Biden should be court-martialed. Uh, let's listen to clip one. So the whole world just became vastly more dangerous. The U.S. President Biden humiliated the United States. He humiliated the United States Army. In my opinion, and I, I don't say this lightly, and I've never said it about anybody else, any other leader in this position, people have been talking about impeaching President Biden. I don't believe President Biden should be impeached. He's the commander-in-chief of the U.S. Armed Forces, who's just essentially surrendered to the Taliban. He shouldn't be impeached. He should be court-martialed for betraying the United States of America and the United States Armed Forces. Well, there you have it. That's a, a British Colonel Richard Kemp. Very strong words there on Mark Levin show that President Biden shouldn't just be impeached. He should be court-martialed because of his his negligence when it comes to protecting American life. And we can't we can't say that, that the White House didn't know what's going on here. We have the best intelligence, the best military in the world. Everybody knew what was happening here. We knew the Taliban were advancing on Afghanistan and Kabul and we sat around apparently and did nothing. 
uh, to get American citizens out. Now we're playing from behind, and the clock is working against us to get American citizens out. So we'll keep keep you updated on that, but that's just out from CNN that there are still 4,000 American citizens in Afghanistan that cannot get out or have not been able to get out to date. I came across this other story in, uh, let's see, this is from Intercessors for America. This is a group uh, that that shares uh, prayer needs among Christians can pledge to pray. And this is a testimony of a believer, a Christian, fighting to get out of Afghanistan. And I'm just going to read this. This was published yesterday, so just one day ago. This was published by an intercessor named Elizabeth Herter. And uh, she's talking about this uh, family trying to get out and flee Afghanistan. So I'm just going to read this before we go into a break. My family was packing to leave town in a few hours, but the news caught my eye. Kabul had fallen. A dear friend and her husband lived there. And in a split second, the realization of what a Taliban coup would mean for her dawned. She is a Taliban target trifecta, a woman, a Christian, and an interpreter. M, which is the uh, the short name for the person stuck in, in Afghanistan, uh, so we don't reveal a her identity here. M returned my frantic messages right away, and for the next 72 hours, her messages chronicled the advance of the Taliban on the airport. She and her husband had already uh, been ahead of the curve and had already secured tickets out of Kabul. I was relieved that they were already inside the airport awaiting a flight. But her next message dropped me to my knees. Quote, they are fleeing. All the airport staff, they are leaving. There is no one to fly planes or take tickets. We are hiding on the second floor. What should we do? What does the news say is happening? From that point, every message was more chilling. Elizabeth, who, who is the person texting back here, Elizabeth, we tried to go to the NATO side of the airport, like you said, but they have snipers. Chaos everywhere, mobs looting every store in the airport. It is so dangerous here. We tried to leave, but the Taliban killed a boy downstairs. There is shooting. We are trapped here. What do we do? As M's messages rolled in, I toggled between messaging her, getting people to pray, and figuring out who who I knew who might be able to help or knew someone. I sent frantic emails and made calls to the offices of both Senator Josh Hawley and Senator Tom Cotton. I called friends who called friends on the Hill. Capitol Hill. I called my military brother. I messaged the director of the large organization that this couple worked for. And so uh, this uh, this writer here goes on pretty extensively, several hundred words, to talk about the plight of this family in Afghanistan trying to get out of Kabul before the Taliban took it over. And, uh, and thankfully, thank God, uh, this couple ended up getting out of Kabul, and they, they finally made it into the, the Kabul International Airport, um, and, and 12 hours later, they ended up in Qatar, uh, or Qatar, which is a, a, a land, we have a military base there, the U.S. does. So, none, nonetheless, there are people fighting for their lives, quite literally, there in, in Afghanistan, so we need to keep them in our prayers, and we need to continue uh, pressing uh, the U.S. government to ensure that every American citizen makes it out of Afghanistan. That it, that should be of utmost importance to to our to our uh, as our view of what's going on in Afghanistan. Hey, many of you uh, saw uh, we, we've we've had this. Th- there's been this theory <laughs> floated around by the FBI and the White House and Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats. You know that 
Everything that happened on January 6th in Washington, D.C. was coordinated. It was a conspiracy. Uh, everyone uh, colluded together to storm the Capitol. I mean, that's been the narrative, uh, that this was a, a coordinated attack on our nation's capital. Uh, people uh, looted and, 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 and trespassed on the Capitol grounds, which that part of it's actually true. Uh, but nonetheless, there was this overwhelming narrative that that everything was coordinated that the Trump, uh, President Trump's speech outside of the White House was uh, was planned, which it was, but then everything following that was very coordinated, and it was a sophisticated, coordinated attack by conservatives or Trump supporters. And, and that's why uh, it led to many of the social media platforms uh, deplatforming many conservatives because they, they claimed that, uh, that this was all coordinated on these platforms, and that's why Parler or Parlay that's why that platform got taken off of Amazon's web servers. It got taken off of all kinds of other places, got taken off of, off of Apple devices, the app did, because everyone claimed, the media claimed, and the FBI claimed that Parlay was used to coordinate this attack, uh, this trespass on the nation's capital. Well, as it turns out, uh, that's the farthest thing from the truth. The FBI admitted... Um, just this past week through some leaks um, that there's, quote, scant evidence that Trump supporters hatched a criminal plot to overturn the presidential election when they swarmed Capitol Hill and entered the hallowed halls of the Capitol building itself. Uh, it goes on to say the claim of an attempted overthrow of the federal government was made early and often by Democrats, and it was a key underpinning of, the Dom of Donald Trump's impeachment trial for inciting his supporters. That's the second impeachment trial. And so here we go. Here's just another case where the Democrats, the media, our own FBI, they throw out these narratives that aren't backed by truth, and, and they smear a lot of people. They destroy a lot of people's character, a lot of people's reputation, all on something that's not true. And this is just another case. Uh, according to the FBI, there is, quote-unquote, quote scant evidence that Trump supporters uh, colluded to storm the Capitol. Well, that... that that dismisses uh, all the charges that people have been charged with on conspiracy uh, to commit uh, trespass or fraud. Uh, so we'll continue to keep an eye on that. But just another Democrat narrative blown to pieces when the truth comes out. AFA at the core, I'm Walker Wildman. You're listening to American Family Radio. We'll be back in just a few minutes with Dr. Peter McCullough. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. My name is Abraham Hamilton III, and this is the Hamilton Minute. In his October 11, 1798 address to the Massachusetts militia, John Adams, second president of the United States and founding father, said, Our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. He understood that in order for the American Constitutional Republic to survive long term, the church in America must make disciples of its populace. And immoral people will always destroy themselves through lawlessness. To think otherwise is to suffer under a grand delusion. Listen each weekday from 5 to 6 p.m. Central for The Hamilton Corner or visit the podcast page at AFR.net for more from Abraham Hamilton III, public policy analyst for the American Family Association. 
This is Raising Godly Girls Minute with Patty Garibay of American Heritage Girls. Your young girl has already gone through a life of incredible transformation. From babbling infant to busy toddler, fearless kid to flourishing teen, these early years have set the foundation for womanhood. It's commonly understood that children who participate in faith-based programming in their youth are more likely to remain engaged Christians in adulthood. According to Barna Research, what we believe at the age of 13 is likely what we will die believing. I challenge you to help plant the seed of strong faith in your young girl long before the age of 13. Encourage your girl to pray over a life verse that tethers her heart to God's. That's a verse that speaks to the heart of her faith and is foundational to her testimony of belief. Want to learn more? Read about empowering girls through the love of God at RaisingGodlyGirls.com. Emmy was in a bad relationship when she found out she was pregnant. Her boyfriend told her to get an abortion, which she seriously considered. I knew that if I got an abortion, a part of me would be broken. Emmy went to a preborn center in need of guidance. They honestly were able to put every fear at ease and let me know that it was going to be okay. Because of them, he's here. I couldn't imagine my life without him. Preborn clinics introduce moms in crisis to their babies through ultrasound while providing hope, love, and the gospel in action. When an expectant mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears the heartbeat, she's 80% more likely to choose life for her baby. To find out more, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Your love can save a life. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Wednesday on AFA at the core. That is a gyra by uh, Maverick City Music. That's a gyra. That's a worship song uh, for Worship Wednesday here on AFA at the core. Glad to have you back with us. Once again, I'm Walker Wildman. Well, as I mentioned, we're going to have a special guest with us now, Dr. Peter McCullough out of Texas, an academic and a physician in Texas. 
who's been covering and addressing this uh, COVID-19 pandemic for the last 18 months now, and he's spoken extensively on this issue. He's been on uh, the, the radio network before. Uh, Dr. McCullough, thanks for coming on. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Hey, Dr. McCullough, go ahead and give a little bit of your background to the extent that you can as far as your experience in the medical field and how long you've been, uh, been a physician. I'm in my fourth decade of being a practicing doctor, so I'm board certified in internal medicine and cardiology. So I practice non-invasive cardiology and general medicine. I've always handled you know, minor infections and even more than that throughout the course of my career, both outpatient and inpatient. And in the last 18 months, I feel like I've done a fellowship in virology, COVID-19. Uh, I've really put everything I have into it. I'm an academic physician. I'm the editor of two major journals. Uh, I am a president of a major medical society. I'm considered one of the most published persons in my field uh, in the world. And I have put everything into COVID-19, uh, really filling the gap on treating patients for COVID-19 to reduce hospitalizations and death. I've had two breakthrough seminal publications, the most widely cited papers in treatment of COVID-19. And that was in the American Journal of Medicine of 2020 and Reviews in Cardiovascular Medicine of 2020 last year. We have a home treatment guide based on this. Uh, there's been entire telemedicine services uh, developed for this, mm. as well as home treatment guides that have been distributed and, and to millions of people and saved millions of lives. Now that, that's so important. You mentioned the, the preventative or the prophylaxis uh, treatments here of COVID-19 because we're not getting a whole lot of information from our, our public health officials and the White House and others uh, when it comes to ways that we can treat uh, COVID early and aggressive to keep people out of the hospitals. Because as you mentioned, that should be really our primary goal is to keep people out of the hospital. Um, what, are, what are some of the, the, the treatments that you've experienced over the last 18 months, the early treatments that many people can get uh, that help fend off a severe illness when it comes to COVID? Well, you're right. We really have heard nothing from our government officials, our public health agencies, and there's been a complete block in the media for any information on prophylaxis and treatment of COVID-19. And this is part of what's called the Trusted News Initiative. I think all your listeners should know about this. There's an overt censorship program that's been openly announced uh, last year for all the media, uh, and that is to only promote the vaccine. That's the only goal of the media. And they will, in order to promote the vaccine, squash any information on prophylaxis and treatment and anything on vaccine safety. That's a trusted uh, news service. Everyone's following it. So that's the reason why Americans will be blocked from this important information. And it's one of the reasons why they're leaving mainstream media and going to uh, outlets like this to learn. So let's go over it. In order to prevent COVID-19, uh, recent uh, updates that we're going to have in guidance is that uh, individuals who are getting exposed to COVID-19, especially during this uh, current outbreak, they should use a dilute betadine or a povidone iodine, a dilute betadine solution, just a few drops in a glass of water, swish and spit that twice a day. That kills the vi any virus that's come into the mouth. Use Q-tips and do the same thing in the nose twice a day. That's uh, now supported in concept by the American Dental Association. Dentists have been using this all year long. Dentists have been in the mouths of people all year long, and nobody's got, no dental outbreak, so it's really amazing. If someone's allergic to iodine, they can use dilute uh, hydrogen peroxide, sodium hypochlorite, or even just yellow Listerine, uh, uh, regular original Listerine. It has an anti-infective approach. Beyond that, 
to prevent the illness, there's two uh, uh, accepted approaches. One is one, one day a week, hydroxychloroquine, uh, 200 milligrams twice a day, or ivermectin twice a week, and that's weight adjusted. Uh, so that's what we can do in order to prevent developing COVID-19. And that's true whether or not one's had the vaccine or not, because we know the vaccines are not stopping COVID-19. So we need these uh, uh, preventive measures. Uh, Dr. McCullough, can I, after the show, can we get some of that information to post on our podcast page? Because I know people are, aren't able to write all this down, but do you have something that we can share with our listeners? Yeah, some really a, a good sources of information. Yeah, some good sources of information are the uh, Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. That's going to have the first update on the um, oral and nasal approaches and then the Truth for Health Foundation. But I'll get those links over to you. Get them up on your website. Okay, excellent. Thank you, Dr. McCullough. Uh, moving on, the, uh, uh, the, the antibody treatment is something that I've been reading a little bit about recently. It's been around for some time now as, as far as it's been around for over a year. Um, and that is an early treatment. If you get diagnosed with COVID, you go get this monoclonal antibody treatment. I think there's three companies developing this, uh, the antibodies. Um, what's your what's your overall view of that? Is does that seem to be an effective treatment? Yes, I uh, am broadly supportive of the monoclonal antibodies. They were approved in November of 2020. We initially had. Lily and then Regeneron. Lily has been uh, decommercialized since it was a single monoclonal antibody and uh, it didn't cover the different strains. The Regeneron antibody still covers the strains. It's actually a combination of two antibodies. It's very safe, very effective. There's a wonderful paper in the Journal of the Infectious Disease Society of America that shows day by day, the earlier we use a monoclonal antibody, the lower the overall hospitalization and mortality rate. Recall that former President Trump received uh, he really upfront got a dose of monoclonal antibody and he breezed right through COVID. He could have had a rough time. And so I tell you right now, uh, my next patient who's over 65, uh, develops COVID-19, has some background medical problems. I make a phone call and we have infusion slots at every major emergency room in the United States, major, major clinics, even home infusion services will do it. Patients need to demand this because again, our agencies are not providing any information to patients on how to access it, and their major media is blocking all mention of the Regeneron monoclonal antibodies. Yeah, that's that's so shameful, though. I mean, here we are as a society, and and we've been getting not only are we getting mixed messaging messages from the CDC and these other agencies, but we're getting uh, for for months in the early days of the pandemic despite overwhelming evidence from many doctors on the front lines of the things that they were using to help fend off this virus, including hydroxychloroquine, um, uh, we were getting this message that there is no, there is no, nothing to treat it with. There's nothing we can do. All you need to do is just go home, and if you can't breathe, you go to the ER. Uh, that's just a very irresponsible and ter terrible message to send to people uh, who are struggling with. Uh, the, so it's good to hear that the antibody treatment uh, is getting positive reviews and apparently uh, appears to be working. And I've read that extensively throughout multiple publications. Um, another thing I wanted to ask you about is something actually you published two days ago uh, in the Children's Health Defense News and Views, the Defender publication. Uh, I was reading through it and I looked at the author and I was like, well, that's D Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm having him on my show in a few days. And this, this, uh, pub this, um, uh, write-up that you did uh, uh, cited an Oxford University clinical research group uh, report that is, is is headed to be published 
and it talked about the viral loads of people who have the jab. Uh, what were the findings here, and what's most concerning about this? Yeah, this paper really got our attention. This is a report out of a unit of Oxford University that's in Ho Chi Minh City in Vietnam, and they were having an outbreak among healthcare workers in a hospital. And so they locked down the hospital to the workers, so the workers could not go in or out. They had them locked down, and they had quarters for them to stay. This was in June, okay, two months ago. And what they found is they had an outbreak of about 69 workers who got COVID-19, and they had detailed sequencing. So they knew they had the Delta variant, and they also knew exactly which uh, strains based on the polymorphisms they were passing to one another. So they had this nailed down. These were all fully vaccinated workers with the AstraZeneca vaccine just two months ago. They were fully vaccinated. And they found that, in fact, they were spreading the virus to one another. They proved it. And the viral load that they calculated was 250 times that of somebody in the pre-vaccination era. And so the big news here, this was uh, published in Lancet. Uh, the big news here is this makes sense that it's the vaccinated that are carrying massive viral loads and probably blasting other vaccinated and even worse, blasting unvaccinated individuals. And I'm really fearful this is happening in the United States. We had, you know, we have over 75% of our seniors vaccinated and a lot of adults in their 50s, 60s and 70s are vaccinated. And invariably now they're actually contaminating the younger people and driving this Delta variant because we're seeing a lot more young people with Delta and we're wondering how are they getting it? They're actually getting it from vaccinated older people. Hmm. You know, Dr. McCullough, I've read multiple uh, reputable uh, doctors and physicians and epidemiologists who uh, they go as far to say that we shouldn't uh, vaccinate in the middle of a pandemic. And I don't I haven't really gotten into all the reasoning behind why they say that. Uh, but is that is that plausible, the, the idea that we really shouldn't be rushing out these mass vaccinations in the middle of a pandemic? Does that have any kind of uh, rooting in science? Yeah, I believe you're right. And I've never supported indiscriminate mass vaccination, particularly in the middle of a pandemic for the following reasons, is that we always vaccinate people who just need it. You know, the pneumococcal vaccine, meningococcal vaccine, we don't uh, mass vaccinate anybody who doesn't need it. So from the st from the get-go, if we just would have vaccinated the seniors and the nursing home workers, we could have been done after about 5, 10, maybe 15 million people. And then we would have limited any type of uh, safety issue that would have arisen. And we certainly wouldn't have encouraged these variants. But once we get to 25% of the population vaccinated, as shown by Neeson and colleagues, collaboration from Boston and Mayo Clinic, they've shown it. When you do that, then you encourage a dominant variant to move forward. We've always had a dozen or so vaccine programs started. Now we've encouraged the Delta variant to move forward. In the United States, it's 83% of all cases. And what we know about Delta, and I, I have a lot of experience now in treating it, and I respect it greatly, it seems to be more contagious for sure. It looks like the vaccinated are getting sick with Delta. Uh, our CDC has reported in, in July 26, they had 6,000 patients hospitalized who are fully vaccinated and 19% died. So we should take Delta seriously, particularly in those vaccinated who are now being hospitalized. But more than that, we're seeing a lot of young people contract Delta and some of them need treatment. Uh, those who don't get uh, treatment and have severe symptoms, they can wind up in the hospital. 
Yeah, and that's that's what I've seen personally in people is is and I I got test I tested negative for the antibodies a few weeks ago, so I apparently haven't had the virus yet. Um, but but people I've seen, you know, they 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 go they get they test positive, they go home, and on day like six or seven, they they just go downhill. They think they're recovering, they're getting ready to go back to work, and then day six or seven, they just go downhill. So so I agree, it's completely. Uh, important to get treated early and get treated aggressively, uh, even if you think you have a mild illness on the front end. Uh, another question I wanted to ask you about, and this is this you're going to laugh when you when you hear what I say here, but uh, the Surgeon General went on CNN and, and claimed that that immunity from the jab is better than natural immunity, and he said that with a straight face on CNN that that the immunity you get from this jab is better than the natural immunity that God gave that God gave us from getting through the uh, a covid infection and getting on the other side and having the antibodies uh what's your what's your view or your response of that we, we've seen the surgeon general make that statement as well as the head of the national institute of allergy and immunology and notice they don't quote any uh, data or any scientific uh, grounding for that i told you the cdc has told us six thousand americans have failed the vaccine been hospitalized and 19% died. And that's not all the cases. That's just what they're aware of. Uh, at, the, at the end of May, they had 10,000 cases that failed the vaccine uh, as outpatients. And turns out 9% came in the hospital, 3% died. So we have had thousands of Americans, or uh, if not tens of thousands of Americans fail the vaccine. During the same time period, we haven't had a single American fail natural immunity. So it's got to be now about 10,000 to one uh, and we look at natural immunity. Uh, well, there was a recent op-ed that was out uh, by Daniel Horowitz, just a nice summary, uh, but 15 papers that demonstrate that natural immunity is robust, complete, and durable, and far superior to any type of claim one could make for vaccine immunity. I like the Cleveland Clinic study by Shretha and colleagues, uh, naturally immune COVID recovered workers, no vaccine, go back into the workplace, Prevalent COVID, not a single reinfection. Merchew and wow. colleagues from Ireland, uh, less well-defined cases, even people who thought they had it but had some antibodies, way less than a 1% chance of ever getting COVID again in the future. So COVID-recovered patients have a far superior natural immunity. It looks robust, complete, and durable, just like SARS-1, 17 years of immunity. Um, mm. I'm personally COVID-recovered. I've taken big blasts of COVID in the face. I don't get sick. Yeah. It doesn't happen. I think people who well, have COVID recovered can relax. I've told business people you should do it. If you want to do an inventory, uh, you want to care about who's COVID recovered and naturally immune. That's far more got, important than who's vaccinated. Th hey, thanks, vaccinated, Dr. McCullough. Yeah, sorry to interrupt you. we got to go to a break. We'll be back in a few minutes. Okay. The American Family Association's mission is to inform, equip, and activate individuals to strengthen the moral foundations of our culture. We also support the church. Our goal is to be a leading organization in biblical worldview training. Here's another of our core values. We believe true morality flows from biblical principles and directs people to the manner in which God intends them to live. Thank you for standing with us as we seek to stop the erosion of godly values. And we thank you for your support. In His Image, delighting in God's plan for gender and sexuality. I loved it. I loved how biblically sound it was, all the scripture to back it up. The testimonies were very powerful. 
if it's a prodigal child that has just run away or one that's caught up in same-sex attraction, there's hope in Jesus. In His Image is now available on DVD and can be purchased in bulk to pass out to friends and family. Order today by visiting afastore.net. I'm a widow. I've worked for a bank for 31 years, and I've been retired now for 10 years. Myrtle Norris comments on her experience with the AFA Foundation. I had a lot of financial questions, and Dan Celia was, um, he answered my questions, and he helped me with a lot of decisions that I made. And then the charitable gift came up, and he explained that to me. I decided to get it, and I'm sure glad I did, because I know now that money is in a place that I know God wants it to be, and also get my monthly income from it. I believe in the AFA and what they're doing, because they're working for us. Learn how the AFA Foundation can work for you. You can contact the AFA Foundation through Facebook on our website, afafoundation.net, or call us at 800-326-4543, extension 345. Thank you for supporting the American Family Association. Hi, I'm Steve Tiber with 8 Days of Hope. 8 Days of Hope exists to love and serve those in need. Over the past 15 years, over 40,000 volunteers have helped 7,000 families rebuild their homes for free after natural disasters. We've also renovated and rebuilt facilities to bring hope and healing to those rescued from sex trafficking. Our rapid response ministry is busier than ever. With 40 deployments over the last four years, we've been able to minister to so many when it mattered most. It's completely free to serve with us. We provide your food and lodging when you volunteer. There's countless opportunities for any skill set and any skill level. We spend multiple weeks with those that have lost so much by cutting trees, tarping roofs, mucking out houses, and so much more. Consider joining us on our next outreach. You will never be the same. For more information about 8 Days of Hope, please go to 8daysofhope.com. That's 8daysofhope.com. AFA at the Core podcast are available at AFR.net. Back to AFA at the Core on American Family Radio. Welcome back to AFA at the Core here on the American Family Radio Network. My name is Walker Wildman. You're listening to AFR. This is AFA at the Core. We have on with us, uh, uh, after the break, we have on with us Dr. Peter McCullough, who was with us last segment. Uh, Dr. McCullough, sorry we had to wrap up there with the music coming in our ear, uh, but just wrap up your thoughts. You were citing two studies, one from Cleveland and one from somewhere else, on uh, the strength of natural immunity. Yeah, there's two, two. I was just quoting two out of 15 studies. Now, the data are very clear. Natural immune, uh, natural immunity is very robust. It's complete. It's durable. There hasn't been a bona fide uh, serious second case. Those who are naturally immune clearly don't need a vaccine. Uh, you know, for medical reasons, they don't need to wear masks or be concerned. Uh, they can return to the workplace. They can care for other patients sick with COVID-19. I think if the military or any employer really wants to know about safety of their workforce with respect to COVID-19. They need to know who the COVID recovered patients are. That's who they need to know about. They, you know, Whether or not you're vaccinated, that doesn't matter because people get COVID with the vaccine anywhere. Everyone's making a big deal about the vaccine. They should make a big deal about natural immunity. Those are the people who are safe in the workplace. I know that 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 there hasn't been really enough time as far as years for the studies on 
a long-term natural immunity with with COVID, but you may know more than I do, but do you, is there evidence that I've seen uh, one study that said at least a year of, of, of a strong immunity with, with natural immunity? Um, other studies may say even several years or a lifetime. What's the general consensus right now as far as how long that immunity lasts? Yeah, my interpretation is since uh, SARS-CoV-2 is about 80% to 90% similar to SARS-CoV-1, that the immunity is very likely to be life, lifetime. SARS-CoV-1, uh, that's SARS-1. There's never been a second case, and that's been 17 years. Right now, we're 18 months into a worldwide pandemic, not a single second case that's been confirmed by antigen, PCR, and sequencing. There's been a few suggestions that maybe somebody tested positive twice, but they've never been sick twice. So I can tell you right now, if there was any meaningful chance of getting COVID again, we would have seen millions and millions of cases. We would have seen this sweep through the nursing homes over and over again, and we haven't seen it. Americans know you can't get it twice. All right. Hey, Dr. McCullough, thank you for coming on the show. Uh, keep up the good work and spreading the truth, and we'll have you on again. Okay. Thanks for having me. All right. Thank you, Dr. McCullough. Uh, that's Dr. Mc uh, Peter McCullough out of the state of Texas. He's an academic and a physician. He has an extensive uh, resume and background. Uh, he's also testified before the U.S. Senate, uh, uh, a committee in the U.S. Senate on early treatment, treatment methods for COVID-19 patients, and he's been on all kinds of uh, publications and networks discussing this issue. So that was Dr. Peter McCullough out of the state of Texas, a very reputable person and one that has extensive background in addressing the issue of COVID-19 and early and aggressive treatments. And by the way, as I mentioned last segment, um, a couple of the resources and the early treatment protocols that Dr. Peter McCullough mentioned early in the last segment, we're going to post those on my podcast page at AFR.net. Uh, so if you go to uh, our website, AFR.net, right at the uh, top of the page on the homepage, you will see the AFA at the Core podcast uh, with my, my logo there, AFA at the Core. You'll see the latest podcast, and on that podcast page, you can find the link. So we're making sure that we uh, publish all this stuff so that you, 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 the listener, can go out there and find it. I know many of you uh, uh, are driving or doing things and aren't able to write down notes or, or URLs, so we, be, we're, we are sure to post these on our website at AFR.net under the AFA at the Core podcast page. Hey, a couple other uh, news stories that I wanted to bring to your attention. Uh, this is out of the uh, th this is out of actually Washington D.C. You know, I asked Dr. McCullough about the uh, antibody treatment, the monoclonal antibody treatment. There's three companies out there providing these um, uh, antibody infusion treatments, and I've heard very good things about them. Um, uh, I actually know people who've gotten the antibody treatment and have have, have recovered very well. Uh, I think about an 85 percent um, uh, preventative as far as providing a full recovery and not going into the hospital. About 85% of people uh, who get this uh, antibody treatment are, are, are not admitted into the hospital and they fully recover. Uh, Dr. Anthony Fauci actually agrees with us here. He actually is promoting something good for the first time in a long time. This is clip two. Let's listen. Trials have demonstrated that early treatment with anti-SARS-CoV-2 monoclonal antibodies can reduce the risk of COVID-19 hospitalization or death by 70 to 85%. It is important to emphasize that this must be done early in infection and not wait, of course, until a person is sick enough to be hospitalized. That's when you get 
the best effect. And again, being an underutilized intervention, we want people out there, including physicians, as well as potential patients, to realize the advantage of this very effective way of treating early infection. Well, there you go. That's Dr. Anthony Fauci. And up until now, you know, we're 18 months into this pandemic or more by now. I keep saying 18 months as the months go by. But, you know, we're well over a year and a half into this pandemic. Um, and, and all we've heard from from our officials is the vaccine, the vaccine, the vaccine. Well, um, that may be one one route, but there's other routes, too, uh, to help people get through this illness. And the uh, monoclonal antibody treatment is one of those ways. So finally, Dr. Fauci comes on and offers some helpful information, and that is that the uh, the antibody treatment is uh, uh, showing very, very good results there across the country, and it's been available for well over a year now. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention is out of the state of New York, you know, we, we've been following Dr. An- I mean, not Dr., uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo, and he's um, resigned now. He resigned in disgrace a couple of days ago, left uh, the governor's mansion in New York State. Well, um, uh, someone, uh, a female, was sworn in as, as, as governor. Uh, uh, governor Kathy Hochul uh, was sworn in. She was probably, she was sworn in in, in in lieu of Governor Cuomo resigning, and this is probably following uh, the, the state law as far as who takes the governor's place after uh, the governor resigns. So this is the new governor of New York is Governor Kathy Hochul, and she actually is, is being a little more transparent than Governor Cuomo. Uh, she released the valid, the up-to-date, the true numbers of, of, of COVID-19 deaths in the state of New York because Governor Cuomo was accused, and it was, it was shown that he was covering up and hiding uh, the the full totality, the full number of deaths in his state, for whatever reason, probably for political reasons. Uh, but according to these new numbers, the 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 New York governor added 12,000 deaths to the to the COVID tally in the state of New York. That just happened today. The New York governor added uh, 12,000 uh, deaths to the publicized COVID-19 tally. Um, and that's uh, out of the governor's mansion in New York. And so we'll continue to monitor that. You know, one thing uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo did, the former governor there, that was highly controversial, uh, some would even argue it's criminal because of the pure negligence that his office took in the early days of the pandemic. Uh, but they were sending COVID-positive patients back into nursing homes. These are people who were still testing positive. The governor's uh, office uh, sent out a directive uh, sending those patients back into nursing homes, which is dangerous. Sending COVID-positive patients back into nursing homes uh, to highly vulnerable populations is absolutely reckless and dangerous. There's no no scientific evidence that that's a wise policy, that that was a good policy, uh, that that was a, a, a medically recommended policy. Uh, but nonetheless, he did it anyway, and that caused the deaths of thousands of elderly people in New York State, and so that's what a lot of people are frustrated about. You know, there's been the uh, the coverage of his uh, sexual assault allegations and his groping allegations, uh, but that's just one side of what's going on in New York. Uh, Governor Cuomo, there are a lot of families who are very frustrated and angry at at, at COVID positive patients being put in nursing homes and therefore infecting others uh, in the highly vulnerable population. So, uh, multiple reasons Governor Andrew Cuomo has gone there. Uh, just to mention a few, I came across another study, and 
Um, this, this really shouldn't surprise us. We've known this, but more studies continue to affirm that which we've already known. Well, this was a study published by the CDC on its website, and the study covered more than 90,000 elementary school students in 169 Georgia schools from November 16, 2020 to December 11, 2020, and was, according to the CDC, the first of its kind to compare COVID-19 incidents in schools with certain mitigation measures in place in other schools without those same measures. Uh, so I'll say all that to say that the, the conclusion of this uh, CDC report, or this study published on the CDC site, uh, the conclusion was actually buried uh, deep in uh, the report, uh, probably because of what it found. And, and, and many people that uh, study reports all the time, they call this foul drawing, where you kind of stuff away the, the uh, important findings in the bottom of a report so nobody finds it until later. Um, here's what this report found. Uh, according to uh, Vinay Prasad, who's a associate professor at the University of California, uh, San Francisco Department of Epidemiology and Biostatistics, here's what she said. This is a well-known professor in the state of California. She said um, that the results here show that a masking requirement of students failed to show independent benefit in a finding of consequence uh, is a finding of consequence in great interest. Uh, she goes on to say that it should have been included in the summary. And so the point here is that uh, this study presented itself as, well, we just looked at, at teachers and mask usage amongst teachers. Well, no, in reality, uh, this study also looked at mask usage amongst students, but they didn't publish that in the summary of the report. And here's what the, the key, the, the summary is so important to these studies because the, the summary gives you a snapshot of what the, the study found. Well, instead of presenting the truth in the summary, they, they hid um, the truth down deeper in the study, but thankfully folks actually came across it and found it. Uh, but I go on to say here that the summary gives the impression that only masking of staff was studied, says Tracy Hogue, an epidemiologist and senior author of a separate CDC study on COVID-19 transmission in schools. When in reality, this was, this was uh, additionally important detection about a student masking requirement not having a statistical impact. So all that mumbo-jumbo to say this, that this CDC study uh, that was on 90,000 students, 169 schools in Georgia for about a one-month period shows uh, that there was no statistical difference in masking versus unmasking of students in school. Uh, so we've been told for, for a year and a half now that we got to wear a mask. you got to wear a mask. Um, uh, and no matter what, you have to wear a mask. And many people have been raising their hand going, uh, you know, where's the evidence behind this idea uh, that a piece of, of cotton over your face is going to prevent you from transmitting a virus? Well, the truth is there's really not a whole lot of evidence out there uh, that shows uh, that some of these cloth masks work. Now, what there is, to be fair, what there is evidence out there about um, is there are some studies that show that N95, the medical grade uh, N95 or KN95 mask, there is some evidence that those do help uh, prevent transmission or reduce uh, the rate of transmission. So um, I'm not bas bashing all masks out there, but the ones that everybody in the public is wearing, which is these uh, little surgical masks and the cotton ones, uh, those have no scientific basis at preventing the transmission 
of upper respiratory illnesses. Uh, another story I wanted to get to before we wrap up the show, uh, this kind of uh, gave me a chuckle. The uh, A lady by the name of Rachel Bush, she's the spouse, the wife of uh, Buffalo Bills football star Jordan Poyer. Well, the NFL is struggling with this whole vaccine policy, and if you get sick, you got to go home, or if you get exposed, you got to quarantine, and all this uh, going on around the pandemic. Uh, well, as it turns out, um, she, uh, many, a couple players had to quarantine because they got exposed with the Buffalo Bills, and so here's what here's what she said. And by the way, the reason she's frustrated is because. Um, the person who who exposed these players was a vaccinated person. They got sick. They got COVID with the vaccine. And the, the unvaccinated players who are perfectly healthy, who don't have the virus, they're the ones having the quarantine, um, not the players with a shot, even though the players with the player or the staff member with the, with the jab was the one who got sick. Here's what uh, Rachel Bush put out, push out, put out the uh, wife of a player for the Buffalo Bills. She said, all these headlines should be starting off with, quote, vaccinated staff member, end quote. Then take it where you want it. Uh, but the reason we are missing five guys right now, talking about on the Buffalo Bills team, is because of a, in all caps, vaccinated person. Call it like it is. And so um, she's saying here that, that it was a vaccinated person who got sick and, and exposed others. And the unvaccinated are having to go quarantine. Uh, but the vaccinated don't have to quarantine. Well, wait, they're the ones that are spreading it in this case with the Buffalo Bills. So the logic just doesn't add up here. But hey, what's new? What's new? We've been calling out the hypocrisy for a long time now, and we'll continue to do that. Look, all we want is consistency. We want truth. We want facts and no lies. That's all we want. That's all the American public wants is we want the cold, hard truth. Tell it like it is. So that's what we're going to continue to do here on the show. AFA at the core. I'm Walker Wildman. Great to be with you today. We'll see you tomorrow. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.